So why don't we begin with our prayer before Carol comes up. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Most loving Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for you are the light in our lives. When we find ourselves in moments of despair, your light brings hope. When we experience conflict, your light illuminates the path to peace. When we experience the darkness of fear, your light builds confidence in us. We turn to you and lay at the foot of your cross all of our despair, conflicts, and fear. We give thanks and praise for through your death and resurrection, you destroyed the darkness of sin and brought us into your light. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. And the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Carol will come on up. Good morning. Glad I tested that that way. I'm Carol Keene, and today we will be discussing Manasseh, one of the kings of Judah. My sources are several different versions of the Bible and some websites, including Britannica, Bible Gateway, and yes, actually Wikipedia. All those years I told my students, don't use Wikipedia as a source unless you're using something else. And so that's what I did. But it actually had a very well-resourced article about Manasseh, so go figure. Let's start with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day and all that it will hold. We thank you for your many blessings on our lives. We thank you for our trials and we praise you in the middle of them. And we ask you to open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us today. Each of us may hear something a little bit different and that's good because each of us is in a different place in our walk with you. So thank you for this time together. Thank you for Manasseh. Thank you for your love. We ask this prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so first let's get clear on who Manasseh was because there were two Manassehs in the Old Testament. The first was one of Joseph's sons, as in Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph, with the Egyptian woman, Asenath, who was the daughter of an Egyptian priestess. Joseph also had a son called Ephraim. Joseph took both sons to his father Jacob for a blessing, and as a result, Manasseh and Ephraim, under Joseph, became one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The book of Numbers tells us that at the time of the Exodus, this tribe numbered 32,200 people. The second Manasseh is our focus today. Manasseh became king of Judah at the death of his father, Hezekiah, who had been a king of Judah faithful to God at the end of the 8th century BCE. He stood up to the threats of the king of Assyria, one of the greatest powers in the ancient world, and through his prayers and petitions to God, Hezekiah saw the king of Assyria depart from a standoff balanced hugely in favor of the Assyrians without harming the people of Judah. We are told that Manasseh became king of Judah at the age of 12. 
Some sources say he co-reigned with his father as regent until he was older. In any case, Manasseh reigned over Judah in the 7th century BCE for 55 years. Judah, of course, was the remnant tribe of the people of Israel, the Hebrew people who were left after Israel was destroyed by Assyria in the 8th century BCE. Judah will also be destroyed by the Assyrians in the 6th century BC, but that's still about 100 years ahead of the story before us today. According to the book of 2 Kings, Manasseh reversed the reforms of his father Hezekiah and reestablished local pagan shrines, possibly, some say, for economic reasons, at least in part. He restored polytheistic worship of Baal, the sex god, and Asherah, the sex goddess, uh, actually building phallic poles and altars to them in two courtyards inside the temple, and sponsored the Assyrian astral cult throughout Judah, taking orders from the constellations. So zealous was he in his worship of the foreign gods, he is said to have even participated in the sacrificial cult of Moloch, which consisted of sacrificing young children or passing them through fire. The record in 2 Kings 21 emphasizing, emphasizes three degrading aspects of the regime of Manasseh. One, upon his accession to the throne, he led in a reaction against the reforms instituted by his father Hezekiah. Two, he accelerated the development of heathenism in the country. So he didn't want just him, he was telling everybody else to do it too. Three, he instituted a bitter persecution of the prophetic, prophetic party, which opposed the popular amalgamation of different religions led by the king. My source says that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the prophets were put to the sword. Rabbinical literature places emphasis upon the idea that Manasseh was even more evil than Ahaz, who had done similar things and is described in 2 Chronicles 28, and that Manasseh killed the prophet Isaiah, who had fled and hid in a tree, and he sawed the tree and sawed up Isaiah. And it's not if he didn't, as if he didn't know another way. Had he not been raised in Hezekiah's house? Had he not known about God's destruction of the powerful Assyrian army because of his father's prayers and petitions to God? In 2 Kings 21, it says, Manasseh took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of the Lord, of which, put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their forefathers, if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray. So they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And then... Second Chronicles tells us that the army commanders of the Assyrian king capture Manasseh, put a hook in his nose as well as chains and shackles on his feet and transport him to Babylon. One source says that there had recently been a rebellion in Babylon and the Assyrians may have suspected Manasseh as having some part in it. So they took him up to Babylon for trial 
perhaps to make a public show of his downfall, rather than to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Whatever the case, from the prophetic point of view, Manasseh's arrest and deportation was the result of the judgment of God upon the king's wickedness. So, he's sitting in a foreign jail with plenty of time to think. Ancient prisons were filthy, poorly ventilated, usually underground. The prisons would be divided into in outer and inner areas, and the inner parts of the prison were more secure and darker. Prisoners would not have had individual cells. So, no privacy of any kind, and we can only imagine what he may or may not have had to eat. So Manasseh is in an environment like this after being a king, living in a palace, wearing the finest fabrics, eating the finest foods, able to command others to come and go at his behest. And finally, he comes to his senses. Scripture says he humbled himself abjectly before the God of his ancestors and prayed to him. Some translations say he humbled himself greatly, but I think abjectly, meaning utterly hopeless, miserable, humiliated, or wretched, describes it best. And what is the result of this prayer he prayed so abjectly? Second Chronicles tells us that the Lord let himself be won over. He heard his prayer and restored him to his kingdom in Jerusalem. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is indeed God. Now I've got to put on my English teacher hat for just a minute because I noticed something in this passage. I'm sure I'm not the first person that noticed it. I'm going to read this again, and I want you to notice that the past tense is used in every phrase of that sentence except the last. The Lord let himself be won over. He heard his prayer and restored him to his kingdom in Jerusalem. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is indeed God. After all Manasseh had done, treachery, murder, idol worship, witchcraft, immolation of his own children, and all the ways in which he had led God's chosen people astray, God still forgives him and restores everything to him. And how does 2 Chronicles describe this event? The Lord let himself be won over. Let's sit with that for a minute. The creator of all the universe, the one who can make the sun move backwards in its orbit around the earth, the one who can send his angels to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers at a stroke, the one who chose the Israelites to be his own and has taken them back again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, the one true God who will send his only son to demonstrate his love for each of us. Let himself be won over. What incredible love and mercy. It really is beyond my comprehension how much God loves us. Little us. Tiny nanospecks in a vast universe of countless galaxies. And yet over and over, he lets himself be won over right down to the present day by a contrite, remorseful heart. The one true God, king of the universe, who will later send his only son to demonstrate his love for each of us. So Manasseh returns to Judah where he restores the altar of the Lord, 
makes proper communion offerings and thank offerings there, and commands all of Judah to serve the Lord. However, he is not buried in the city of David in Jerusalem with the other righteous kings, but in Uzzah, the garden of his own house. The Bible states that of King David, his son, King Solomon, and the kings of Judea who followed for the next 150 years, 13 were buried in the city of David, and Manasseh was not seen deemed worthy. That was a surprise to me. I just kind of thought all the kings got buried there, but only 13 of them for over 150 years were buried there. Billy Graham summed up this king nicely. This man who deserved hell cried out to God for forgiveness, and God answered. God's mercy is so vast and beyond our comprehension because he responds to repentant hearts. Not everyone is thrown in prison for their disobedience to God. In Manasseh's case, imprisonment was turned to blessing because he found the Lord. Graham goes on to say, we dare not neglect God's warning to repent today because everyone will not have a prison's conversion. Proverbs says he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. But God's mercy can be ours. Let's bow our heads. Dear God of all creation, thank you for loving us so much, for being love itself, so that when we turn to you, recognizing our wrongs, recognizing that we have chosen a dark way instead of basking in your light. You love us so much and are so eager to restore your love to us that you forgive us every time. Thank you for always being the light toward whom we can turn when we find ourselves in a dark place. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to make sure we know how much you love us. Amen. of God.